This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Uh, today on Existential, we have our friend Tori Douglas back, and she is... Uh, in Portland, and last time you were on, Tori, I was, I feel like I was kind of like, I, I talked, I, I think I said something kind of shady about Portland, you know, so I want to, I want to take that back. Okay. For okay. you and anybody in Portland who listens to this podcast, Portland is amazing, but it's also like kind of ground zero for a lot of what we've been seeing in terms of uprising and like the whole secret police stuff. And I know that you were a part of uh, some of the activities and demonstrations that were happening there. So could you just tell us what's going on? What is going on in your city right now? Well, um, so I have to say one thing that's been really frustrating about this, um, about the uprising in Portland is the way that it's been covered in the national media. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I've talked about this a little bit on, on Twitter, especially, but, um, it's it isn't what the media is portraying it as, which oh, is really imagine, imagine that. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, <laughs> right? Because I think that, you know, there's on on the right, there's this whole thing about like don't don't ever trust the media. You know, they get everything wrong, they have an agenda, they're trying to manipulate you into thinking certain things, but then when like Portland protests are covered, the people on the right are like, Oh yeah, this is this is exactly what's happening. This is, you know, the media is completely trustworthy on this and they know exactly, they know exactly what's going down. They know their stuff, like, you know, got to protect the, got to protect the fence at all costs. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's been, so what has been going on (laughs) is, um, essentially there is, uh, where, where the protests have been taking place. Uh, downtown a few blocks from the river um it's essentially been in a very contained area mm. and um you know people act like uh it's the whole city is in chaos you know i for for the first uh week or so week just two weeks of the protest i lived i lived downtown like or you know mm. very close to downtown it was six blocks away and you know, it was, it just, what it just wasn't ever what the media was portraying it as. Hmm. Um, I think that the, the one thing that like national media got right about it was, um, when, you know, ice and like border patrol were here, like just snatching protesters. Hmm. Um, but even with that, it's like listening to, um, interviews with people who were, who were picked up in that way. It, my perception of it, like having not ever been arrested, um, was that it was almost like they didn't, they didn't have any authority really. And they kind of knew that. And so they would take people to like these kind of holding tanks and then, you know, they'd be like going through your, you know, wrestling through like your stuff or whatever. And, you know, asking for your ID or your phone, which, you know, then protesters were like, Oh, not bringing any of that shit with me when when I'm out here. Um, it's like, we don't, we don't have anything that we can do with you. You know, I, 
to my knowledge, like nobody was taken and then like disappeared. Right. Which mm. oh, that's thank, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but it was just like, they would take you like, you know, break your shit and go through all your stuff and then be like, okay, get out. Um, again, from like the people that I've listened to that have actually experienced this. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that was better, I guess, than it could have been. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that yeah. could have gone really, it could have gone south really easily. Yeah, I feel like this has been kind of a, this has been, you know, a long slog. I think we're, yeah, we're at 90 days of protests since, since George Floyd. Um, Portland is very much a protesting city. Uh, when George okay. W. Bush was in office, um, there was a protest downtown against him every single Friday. Friday at four, four or five. I think it's four p.m. because they would start marching. Um, so this is this is how Portlanders like to roll. I would mm. say. <laughs> like, okay, so this overall. isn't like this isn't like new. This is like this yes. is a part of this the is way a, Portland. This is a cultural um, thing okay. here for okay. sure. Um, and I, I'm not sure where, honestly, that 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 part of it comes from. I, I don't I don't sincerely know, but I know that we have had. Um, I mean, there's always. When something when something goes down, there's always you know a vigil or a march or you know something is going on. Portland, you know, there's the big protest that's downtown at night, right? Like um, at the at the federal courthouse. Um, but then across the city, every day there are other planned protests, mm. right? So even if it's just like standing on street corner holding you know holding signs or there's lots of family protests that happen at the park that are marches that are socially distant and everybody you know everybody can bring their kids and it's like daylight hours um and this has been going on every single day like they're they're at this point there's an there's an instagram account that lists all the protests that are happening for the day and they're like all they're all protesting different things they're all protesting police brutality got you okay yeah yeah. Um, so this, these are these specifically since since George Floyd was murdered, the protests have been specifically about um, police brutality and Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, is important like a, a predominantly white. It town? is. Yes, absolutely. Um, Portland is. Um, I think Portland's seven percent black and Oregon at. Uh, the state of Oregon is less than 2% black. Um, so yeah, Portland is the least diverse major city in the U S. Um, so and what is, what is it about Portland white people that has them like in droves coming out to say, we care about this 2%, 7% of our, of our town and 2% mm-hmm. of our state. Like, mm-hmm. what, what, is, what is, I mean, can you speak to that? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to think... get into the psyche of white people, you know, in, in your city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there is um I think there are a lot of white folks here, first of all, who are leftists, right? Mm. Like for whom liberals are not anywhere near liberal enough. So that is a very significant portion of at least the voting population, like the white voting population in this town. Um and I think that that really kind of adds up. So for context, um we have obviously we have an election this year. Uh, mayor is up for re-election. Uh, the last several mayors, um, I'm trying to think. The the last this is the first time that a mayor has run for re-election in like a decade. I think because Portland is such a difficult city to govern. 
Mm. Um, because there are people who are, you know, progressive, really far on the left, um, who want the city to change, right? Who want mm-hmm. progress, who mm-hmm. want um, policies that we know from the data will improve outcomes for, for more people. Um, and they, they make a lot of noise. Like they show up. And I think that that is really cool. Honestly, uh, Portland obviously has like a very kind of run of the mill, like moderate liberals, um, lots of conservatives as people apparently don't know about, but, um, <laughs> you know, they're like, don't worry if you think that it's like a crazy blue city, there are plenty of you know, thin blue line bumper stickers. So, Mm. you know, I see far more of those than I see of like black lives matter bumper stickers. So, um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, really, really big like gun culture here with people, you know, and yeah, so there's, there's still like a very kind of broad spectrum of, of white Portlanders. So, um, I would say that that is, that's, a part of it, but I think that overall, like the conflict, like the political, the political, I don't, I don't want to call it conflict because I don't feel like that's right. Political disagreements in Portland are between liberals and progressives. (laughs) So yeah. So that's kind of how it shakes out is that there are, you know, there are definitely a lot of, like I said, moderate liberals who, for whom the the status quo works quite well. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they live here. And they think it's great because it is. And they're like, okay, we can just keep going this way because, you know, again, we have this kind of like hierarchical class issue that every other city has where people don't tend to know people who are in like significantly lower tax brackets, um, Mm -hmm. don't tend to know people who are people of color who are like formerly incarcerated as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, there's, I'm not, this isn't to say that there's no, no bigotry or racism here. Like there absolutely is, you know, I, I, I probably am more acutely aware of that than, than most people. But, uh, <laughs> so there's, there's very much like a spectrum here, but in terms of like the political ideology, like the big, the big kind of disagreements are between liberals and progressives. So that's wild. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know that I'd ever heard that. And I, I don't know that I've often heard that distinction made either between liberals and pro- progressives because they normally are the same. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have, we, we have two parties in this country, so <laughs> it's like, well, you pick your poison, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's, I think that liberals appreciate the system the way that it is. Right. And I, so that's, that's how I'm using that term is people who are like, we can use the existing structures, the existing system. And -hmm. progressives are like, no, this isn't, this has never been a fair system. The system has always been rigged. So we need to do something drastically different. Yeah. 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 So which, which brings me to like these tweets of yours that I, I I have come across that I find extremely interesting. You said, may I respectfully request that we stop calling America a democracy. This is a patently false narrative only uh, serves status quo. America has never been a democracy. The Electoral College is proof of this. We might consider maybe making it a democracy for the first time. <laughs> like, could you elaborate? I mean, that's on, that's 200 and what do you get now? 280 characters? 280 characters, yeah. yeah. Could, you, could you like, could you give us more characters on what you were yeah, saying? Yeah, absolutely. So if, 
I think that calling America a democracy, and I said this like in the follow-up tweet, I feel like calling America a democracy is like saying that the founding fathers cared about freedom, right? It's mm-hmm. like they cared about freedom for themselves, but they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't care about most people mm-hmm. um, in terms of of equality of access, right, to power um, or capital or whatever it was that was driving them. Um and I think that, yeah, it's like we've never, right, like we have these like national polls that come out every day at this point that are like, oh, Biden's a point ahead or or whatever. And it's like, we don't, we don't use the national popular vote. So this doesn't, this literally does not matter. Wow. Um, and I think that, I think calling America a democracy is, is using language in the way that the founding fathers used it. Mm which is to cover for behavior, wow. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's like, all men are created equal, right? And then, sorry, but I, sorry, but I got to go back to my plantation real quick. <laughs> and, and, you know, calling, calling America a democracy is the exact same thing. It's not a democracy. It wasn't founded as a democracy. It was founded as a constitutional republic that only serves certain people in the hierarchy, people at the top originally. Right. And we've been mm-hmm. trying to pull, pull that down further and further so that more and more people have access, but we have never, we've never had a functioning, a functioning democracy in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people think that that's a good thing, right? You, you know, some people think that it's a good thing that, like, uh, you know, smaller states have a little bit more representation because otherwise they'd be bullied and they'd be, you know, pushed to the side and sideline. And, and you know, people in Portland don't have any idea what it's like to live in rural Eastern Oregon, where you, you know you've got millions of acres of farmland and and reservations and you know state forests and that's basically it (laughs) you know and and where you know where the population density is like less than five people per square mile um and it's true like i don't i don't know what it is like to live in those circumstances i don't know what that economy is like right what it's like to try to get a job in an extremely rural county Mm -hmm. I, i will fully admit that um which is why I was like, maybe we could try democracy to see what happens. Like we've been doing it the other way for 220 some odd years. I never remember how old this country is. Oh my yeah. God. Um, uh, yeah. So it's like, we could give it a shot. We've, we've done, we've done 200 years of, of not democracy. So like, I don't know. Why not try we, it? Why not try it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If it sucks, I, yeah. we can go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about countries is like, if you don't like what you're doing, you can just go back to what you did before. It doesn't seem like we feel that way in America, though. I think we just oh, we just keep true. trying the same thing over and over again. And, and anytime mm-hmm. you challenge any of the status quo establishments, you're just you're labeled as some sort of villain or demon or or, you know, antagonist to yeah. our great society. I mean, look right. at the whole defund the police movement. And you said something on the last time you were on that when I, I, I looked at it, and I it actually was so strong. I called a friend of mine whose husband is a police, a police, a police, a, a whole police station. Like a whole, her husband is a whole group of police. No, he's a policeman. And and I asked her because you said, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, but you talked about how police, you either become an extremely jaded person or you burn out. These are mm-hmm. your options. Mm-hmm. You're a policeman. And uh, looking at policing further, I go, yeah, I mean, how is there another option? You know what I mean? Like, what else right. could there be? And and I think to your point about, like, 
we've only known police in our lifetime, but they haven't always been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That's we have, very true. We have changed, yeah. you know, and tried new stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just always terrible stuff that we try. <laughs> right. Because again, it's not a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so when we try new things, it's we try the new things that the rich and powerful want to try. Mm. Right? We try their ideas because they're the ones that have influence. They're the ones that have a say. Um, hmm. I think, you know, when, when hmm. I, I just put this in like a reply to someone, but I was like, America has only ever cosplayed democracy. We've never actually done the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. You know, sure. it's and it's like even even with like the the Voting Rights Act, it was like all the civil rights legislation. It didn't have it didn't have much by way of like enforcement. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was it was really like I, it was like justice theater essentially. Mm-hmm. If there were no there were no mechanisms, there was no system by which someone who. Um, someone who's struggling to stay housed and is discriminated against in housing, like you have to have resources to pursue that, to get justice. Mm. Right. And if you, in a society where justice is only available to people who have resources or who just get lucky. um, Yeah. That's not, that's not a democracy. That's not, that's not a system that should be defended. Right. Because it's not just like, I think that, I think that, words have meanings yeah, <laughs> and yeah. obviously like language evolves, but I, I think that we need to use words that accurately describe what is happening. And, yeah. you know, this is like the RNC, like we're not doing a platform, but we think that for edu- like their education thing was like teach American exceptionalism. Like that's their like national education goal. And again, it's like, yes, we, America is, you know, we want to talk about military power. Like, yeah, we got everybody else's asses whoops. Like, that is not. <laughs> We're really like, strong. We are number one. Okay. Yeah. Like, I am not going to argue that. If you want to talk about, like, capital, for sure. Like, yep, richest country in the world. No questions asked. Nobody's debating that. Mm-hmm. Uh, are those? But are those the things that you're using to say, like, you know, we, we also have kids who don't have enough to eat. Mm. So how, like, again, like these words are defined by people with power and influence and they're not the true meaning of the word, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not like all men are created equal, right? Mm-hmm. It, that, that's, you can say those words and if you can say those words and like have slaves, right? If you can say those words and advocate for um, the genocide of native people and like land theft, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that we need to be a lot more careful with the way that we describe things, um, yeah. because yeah. this this matters, and we are gaslighting ourselves to say that America is a democracy. Yeah, Tori, I want to shift gears and talk about something that, like, I've I'm, I've been really interested in since I first became acquainted with you and your work. Um, you on Twitter seem to be an outspoken atheist, and mm-hmm. and I think it's it's it. It makes me think of something really interesting. I come out of the Christian tradition, and there's like this, this, this part of the Bible where Paul is talking about um, the difference between people who live their lives based on what's written down, and they have a form of like 
godliness or righteousness because there was something written down. They go, well, that's written down, so I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Versus people who have this internal sense of Torah or law that says, that's not right. And there's something inside me that says, this isn't right. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to know from your perspective, as someone who's, who's you know, is, again, an outspoken atheist, like, what is it inside you or that, like, drives you, that makes you go, I see all this stuff that's not right. And not only am I going to tweet about it, but I'm, I, you created this white homework deal where you're helping folks. Like, what is it that drives you and moves you and animates you to want to strive for a more just society? Um. Well, <laughs> it's funny that you say that because, for you know, I, I, I you know, was... You know, grew up in in church, and I kind of joke that I was born on the pew. You know, and um, <laughs> that's a strange birth. That's almost like uh, yeah, married, yeah. You know, yeah. No, I mean, I we were we were. It's like all the jokes, right? Like we were at church more often than Jesus was. Like <laughs> it was, we were just always there. That was what we did. Um, that was all we did, actually. And um, so. You know, when I decided to leave, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I have like, it was after wrestling for a really long time, like, like over a decade with these ideas again of, you know, it's like, okay, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible says these things, right? But I don't like those don't really line up with my personal morality, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which again, like, the Bible is, is, it's a very large library. Like it says sure. lots of different things. And I understand yeah. that like context, right? right? Like that's a thing yeah. also yeah. like words yeah. have meaning and context matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't, I, you know, if for me, I was like, I don't think that like this context applies to me in a meaningful way. So mm. I decided when I was leaving faith that my, my personal morality was going to be harm reduction, mm. right? So if you have two really difficult decisions, like what can we do to reduce harm? Mm. Um, and what can we do to reduce the most harm and cause the, I don't want to say like the least amount of disruption, but I mean, you know, when people talk about like revolution, right? Or uprisings. Again, like I, I want to be really careful with with my language there because, you know, re a revolution means people are dying, right? right? Like not everybody survives a revolution mm -hmm. in the vast majority of cases. For sure. Um, For sure. And so I think that, you know, when we are when we are trying to imagine new systems, new ways of being, new ways of existing in society, um, new ways of existing in our communities, um, new structures for people who don't have the same access and resources um, to be able to keep them from falling through the cracks, right? Mm -hmm. um, I really, for me, it really comes down to like harm reduction and you know, loving your neighbor. And this is what I was taught again in church. Um, but, you know, I, I, we I talk about this all the time, but it became very apparent 
after Michael Brown was murdered, that the people who taught me to love my neighbors, like didn't love me or anyone who looked like me or you, you know, or my dad or my cousins or my uncles, or, you know, it's like, you're the one that told me this and you do not believe it. So I'm going to opt out and I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, but I still think that like, you know, love your neighbor has, there's so much weight there in terms of community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so much that carries so much with it that is kind of antithetical to this, um, like bootstraps. I got my nuclear family, like we look out for mm. our own and that's it. Um, that is literally being preached right in, mm -hmm. in pulpits for across sure. this country. Sure. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to say that, um, like, I, I guess I rejected a belief in God, but I still think that there is a lot of value in like, in scripture, um, in certain places, I think that there are lots of, you know, I still enjoy very much like wrestling with the different, different texts. I still mm -hmm. enjoy having theological conversations from time to time with people because, mm -hmm. um, I do think that it provides a framework that we can look at and we can use it to examine ourselves, right? Like we can mm -hmm. use it as a mirror to, to ask ourselves really tough questions about like our ethics, our morality. Um, I, you know, I don't think that, I, I don't personally I hold the belief that it's like verbatim, like right. came from God. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I don't think that that means that it doesn't have value, but yeah, for me, you know, it's, it is very much like harm reduction and, and loving your neighbor, which means being community oriented. That's really cool, man. I love that. I especially love the, like, the idea of how we use any sacred text. I mean, I've, I've been reading um, uh, Aristotle's um, rhetoric mm. for, you know, and like, I mean, that's a, this predates, you know, a lot of the biblical text. And yeah. so reading that stuff and, and sort of evaluating it, looking at our culture versus that culture and, and holding those two things in tension and, and mm -hmm. seeing what that tells me about, humanity, what it tells me about yeah. God. I mean, I, I, I've said something um, that I would love to hear your perspective on. I like, I have said for myself, because I've encountered this a lot within myself, that like, when you think about all of the awful shit that happens in the world and you go, okay, God's watching over this, like this, this, like you mentioned earlier, these kids don't have food to eat and God is watching over this. It's, we all kind of hold that tension, right. Of mm -hmm. like, you know, how could there be God and that at the same time? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then on the on the flip side, I go, I I don't know that I could personally. I'm not, I haven't found a way to survive in a world where I think there's not ultimately a judge is going to make everything right in the end. Mm -hmm. You know, it just because it just I go like if it's just you know that well, evil's going to just continue and not have any like anything to stop it. Um, and I guess I don't feel big enough, hmm. but I also love what you just said about community. So I don't know. I mean, like when you, when you talk about, you know, where you're at in your stance and sort of your, your core driver for, for good, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a question there. I'm just really like curious and, and interested in, in seeing people who do good in the world and continue to get up every day and fight hmm. for justice. Hmm. Um, and what, what drives them. And you, you know, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I think that, yeah, it is, it is very much like, it, it, yeah, it, this is so, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. It's like, oh yeah, it's love. Like mm. that's what drives me, mm. you know, ultimately like at, at the end of the day, like that's, that's the thing. Yeah. And we don't like, like to say that, which is weird. No. It's like, it's like, we like, like love no. becomes this thing that's like, now granted, to be honest, there is a, there, love is sort of an abstract concept in a lot of ways. And when you say the word, mm -hmm. People have a thousand different meanings, but yes. like to be motivated by it and driven by it, it's almost it's become this thing where you're like, well, you know, love. <laughs> like, right? you know, I know, I know. But I don't know why we'd be embarrassed by it. It is, it's an incredible motivator. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that um when the when the status quo, when people who want power are driven by fear to create mm -hmm. the systems that exist currently, um, yeah, like what, what's a, what's a more, what's a more powerful, like what's a powerful antidote to fear? Yeah. Right. And it yeah. doesn't like, it doesn't matter if you are two years old, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're 90, it doesn't matter if you have shelter or if you have to try to find a place to sleep on the sidewalk, mm -hmm. on the park bench every night, like mm -hmm. you can, for the entire, for the entire like vast spectrum of humanity, wherever someone lands, like this is, we all need, we all need this. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that, um, you know, for me, from my perspective, because again, as you said, like love means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, and you know, it's like, I love pizza and I love my wife and I love God. And like, I love the Yankees. And, and there's just like, it, it could yeah. mean yeah. like any number of things. Um, but what I think is so interesting is that like humans are, our nervous systems for whatever reason evolved to co-regulate like mm. humans, when we are in distress, like the way that our nervous system comes back to baseline is connection with other mm. human beings who care about us, who mm. love us, who we know are safe. Um, people that we know like mm. will be there for us. And I, I find that so fascinating, right? Because again, like this is, kind of the antithesis of the values that America pushes right now mm. of like yeah. independence and self-sufficiency and um, mm. like, you know, nuclear family is like the be all end all of community. And, um, mm. you know, it, I'm, I'm very fascinated by all of this research that says that that no, like it's not, it's not like self-care. It's like being in community with people who love you and wow. creating spaces where people's where your nervous system, which is not like conscious, your nervous mm -hmm. system responds to stimuli, not to like your prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. and, and we know this because like we see like PTSD, right? Where it's like there's a split second trigger and your entire body is like, oh, okay, we're gonna die. Like we're shutting down right now. Like what do we yeah. have to do to survive this? Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like we can't the way that we communicate with our with our nervous systems, the way that we feel safe and wanted and cared for is like 
in connection, in community with other people, which again, like just kind of reinforces my personal morality of like harm reduction and loving your neighbor. Like we have Mm -hmm. to create a society that actually gives a damn Mm -hmm. about, Mm -hmm. about like people that aren't like in your immediate circle in your immediate family or like the people that, that, that think like you. Right. And, And I, you know, this is something that I say all the time is at the end of the day, like, yeah, they're, you know, proud boys and and patriot prayer and all these assholes that think that i you know should be deported or what whatever this whatever the situation is whatever they hold to be the truth right Mm -hmm. um like god i i so badly hope that they don't have to struggle to figure out how to put food on the table because i fucking know what that's like and it is terrifying right like i hope that they don't have to struggle with like how are we going to keep the lights on? How are we going to do school this year? Because, you know, we both have to work. Like I, like that makes me sick to think about the fact that their kids could be suffering because they're supporting this system that actually punishes them for existing. Um, You know, like I want, I want them to, you know, even if it's like, it has nothing to do with me. Like, it's fine. If your community doesn't include me, like that's totally fine. But I want them to feel like secure and cared for and seen and loved and heard despite like our, our differences, you know, I don't want them to have to struggle to put food on the table. Like I don't want that for anybody. Um, so, you know, again, it's like harm reduction, caring for your neighbor, regardless of like, you know, how different your views are, uh, you know, of the world, regardless of how different, like your lenses versus mine and like the way that we engage with, um, the way we engage with people who are different than us, like, at the, you know, at the end of the day, like, I, I want you to be able to take your kid to the doctor if your kid is sick, You're talking, right? And I'm gonna, and I'm yeah. gonna fight for that. I'm gonna fight for your kid because, like, that your kid's life matters. You are talking about loving your enemies right now. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about people who hate you, mm-hmm. who like want you to leave the country, who would run you over with their truck and yep. not even look back to see yep. if you were alive. Yep. And you're talking passionately about wanting them included in the age to come or in the world to come or in a world that we are all fighting for. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't even have, the, like there are so many Christians, people of the faith that cannot bring themselves to, to authentically say what you just said mm. about people who hate, who, who hate you. I'm, I'm like sitting here listening to this going, I, I don't, I don't even under, I don't even understand it. I don't understand where that comes from other than, I guess, like I said, there's this, like, there's that ancient idea that there is a law of love and mm. justice and righteousness that is written on the inside of us that is, immune to whatever our beliefs mm, may be, or yeah. whatever law yeah. there may be. It's just like there's something inside of humanity that I think is a divine thing mm. that if and, and that you have tapped into somehow or been graced with um, <laughs> that like it it just it just overrides our human instinct to be selfish. Mm. And that's what I hear. And so one other thing I want to ask you about before I, I let you yeah. go. Um, cause you've mentioned it a couple of times is the nuclear family and 
so many folks, and I, you know, I've been engaged in conversations for weeks now of people going, I can't support Black Lives Matter because they are attack on the nuclear family. And like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, so I, I want you to speak on this notion of the nuclear family. I've heard people talk about it being oppressive. I've heard, I've had even guests on the show talk about it being, mm. uh, being a uh, oppressive system. What, how, what is your view on the nuclear family? Because you brought it up a couple of times in the context of this conversation. So um, the nuclear family as a structure, right. As, as a construct that exists. Mm -hmm. um, It's a very, it's a very new idea because um, for most of humanity, and it doesn't even apply globally, right? Because for most of for most of the history of humanity, um, it was not possible for like two people who were capable of procreating to do all of the things that they needed to do in order to stay alive. Mm. Right. So you need somebody to care for your kids. You need somebody to care for elders, possibly, or anyone who gets sick. You need somebody who's going to make clothes. You need someone who's out hunting. You need someone who's, you know, either planting or foraging. Um, You have to have someone who's making all of your tools and it takes all day to make a single meal. And so Mm. there are all of these things that um, for, for, for most of humanity um, and for most of human history, like, you can't just have two adults doing that. Like you need a much bigger group mm. of people mm. to get to just, just to stay alive. Right. So the nuclear family is a very, very new concept in, in human history of like, okay, so two people couple, couple up and go off and they by themselves can handle all everything. Mm. Right. Um, and again, like in the U S it's like, well, yeah, that seems very easy, but it's like, you know, we, we have grocery stores, we have a washer and dryer, we have a dishwasher, yeah. like we have yeah. cars to be able to get to work. Like that, yeah. we have all of this technology that enables um, the nuclear family to exist at all. Mm. Um, and um, mm. I think that, you know, it, it makes, I think that it makes people feel safe. Like the, the concept of the nuclear family, I think makes a lot of people feel like, okay, well, you know, I, I have, I have, these are my people and this is it. Right. Um, you know, and I have other people that I like that are outside of this circle, but, um, like, this is like, when it comes down to it, like the only people that I'm going to care for are the people in my immediate family. Um, if there's some kind of a crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about that is that, um, during times of crisis, again, the nuclear family as a model does not work. Mm. Um, Like, Mm. you know, I think Beirut is like the most acute example of this right now where it's like, okay, you have, you know, you got a mom and a dad and a couple of kids and you have nowhere to live, Mm. right? You don't Mm. have a job anymore. Uh, Grocery store isn't, isn't open. Um, And you live in a big city. So it's like, what, what, what are you going to do here? Right. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just the two of you. You don't have any support. You don't have any resources. You don't have any access, you know, you know, and, um, you know, nine 11 is another, is another great example of like, if you imagine if nine 11 had to be cleaned up, like all of it in groups of two, nobody mm-hmm. else is there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's organizing. Nobody's nobody's there's no structure. It's just like, you know, you, and if you happen to have a partner, 
I guess go get out on the street and start cleaning up. Mm. Right. Mm. And, and it's just as a model, it's very insular and um, people like to believe that they are self-sufficient in, in our context, right. In in the American context, in the West, people like to believe that um, that there's this like investment in the narrative of self-sufficiency. But when there is a crisis, as we are seeing right now with COVID-19 and all of these kids who are just going to be sitting at home all day with a computer, like trying to get their schoolwork done while their parent or parents are at work just, you know, just to stay housed, right. Just to stay housed and fed, like forget all of the other stuff. Like, please don't get sick. Right. Please don't have an accident. Um, You know, in times of crisis, the nuclear family is, like woefully inadequate. Um, and so so I think that again, it's like very, I'm, I'm trying to transition my, because I was raised here too. Right. Like I'm trying to transition my, the way that I think, um, to being much more community minded. Right. And the way that I operate to be much more community minded because like this whole like flying solo, I'm going to do this on my own thing. Like, like I get it. It it does make people feel more secure because you don't have to trust anyone right you don't have to trust your neighbors you don't even have to communicate with your neighbors you can just like nope i got this um but you know it's very clear that during times of crisis we have to we have to rely on one another because so interesting because you're talking about so what i think that so many especially people of faith view ideas of nuclear family or certainly a lot of ideas through the lens of sexual ethics it's like mm. entire conversations is reduced down to how and who do you have sex with <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what you're describing right now is about not it's that's not even a part of the conversation. It's a part. It's about the community. It's about mm-hmm. um, having a society that takes care of each other. And, and yeah. there, there's a greater sense of responsibility for each yes. other's well-being beyond yeah. just two people and a couple of kids, a dog and a yeah. wife a fence to keep everybody out. Yep. And yep. I love the notion of like the safety that we feel because we don't have to trust anybody. Yeah. Like that is, that rings so true to me when you said it. Um, and so thanks for sharing that. Tori, I am like, I've been so um, grateful to have had this conversation. Thanks so much for being willing to come by again and yeah. And, Honor great. us with your words and, and, and everything. Are you working on anything right now that, that we can uh, be aware of or let, let people know about? Um, so right now, um, biggest thing that I am working on with my with my Patreon is uh, pay the rent club, which we're you know paying the rent for um, a family, three generations. They live in DC and um, you know, kind of digging into the data of like what what is the most, what can we do to reduce harm? Right. Again, like mm-hmm. what can we do to be community oriented and to reduce harm? And so, yeah, if anybody wants to help us like chip in with that, it's just whitehomework.com. Um, super straightforward. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's what we're doing. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on Tori. Thank you to all of you who are listening. Thank you to all of you who are subscribed to this podcast, who rate and review it. If you've not rated or reviewed it, it's not hard. You can just do it right now. Uh, thank you to all of you who are part of the Patreon community. Um, please go check out uh, whitehomework.com and, and sign up for uh, the, the Patreon and let's help some folks with their rent. Uh, what an incredible initiative. 
So thank you all for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.